Hi, everyone. This is a personal synthesis podcast. With me is the creator of personal synthesis, Dr. Nash Popovich. And today we are talking about sense of aliveness. Very interesting topic. Nash, can you tell us something more about aliveness? Sure. Bobby, you remember a few weeks ago, a few podcasts ago, we were talking about relating to death. You remember that, yeah? Yes, yes. Very yes, well. I know, your favorite topic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about the opposite, what it means to be alive. Now, we know what it means to be alive from the biological perspective or medical perspective and things like that. We want to talk here about what it means to be alive psychologically, what it means to feel alive fully. Let's start with, as always, I put you on spot. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> what makes you feel alive and when? Yeah. Any examples? Well, I was thinking about that earlier this week, what makes me alive. And I came to what makes me alive are small things, like a smile or, I don't know, some movie when I'm tired, when I have a long and hard day at work. I like to see some movie to feel that aliveness, company of my girlfriend, small things. Someone would say that those are small things, but for me, those things are something that makes me alive. Lovely. Okay. Thank you very much for that. And how does it feel? How do you know that you have that sense of aliveness? How does it feel? That question is something that I'm, I've been monitoring and following uh, since I know about myself. Because even as I was a kid, if I've had some hard situation, something clicks in me and I just feel full of hope, full of, full of some strange sort of happiness inside. Full of energy? Full of energy, yes, but uh, this is something different, like, uh, like full of will for a living. Yes, as if something opens up in you. In the moment. In the moment, in that and moment. I, and, I, yeah. I, and I don't even think about that. Yes. You know, I yes. think yeah. I'm thinking about that problem and then I jump. So I yeah. have a big smile. So it's hard to explain. Yes, it is very hard to explain. And this is why we don't have much materials here, much research on that in psychology, because it's elusive topic. It's very difficult to even know. No, not to know. It's easy to know how it feels, but it's very difficult to explain, to put in words. Yes. So I sympathize with that. Now, Bobby, what do you think? Can we do something about that? Uh, many of your examples depend on external factors, like your girl smiling or something like that. But, you know, she may not. Or you may not have that good movie to watch or whatever else give you that sense of aliveness. So I just wonder, do you think that we can do something to have more of these moments and these moments are transient. They don't last forever. How can we have more of them? What can we do to have more of these moments? Uh, first thing that comes to my mind, uh, we can diversify our experiences. We can have more things that we like, that we, uh, we are paying attention to. I think that also depends on what kind of person we are. Yeah, you're right. It does depend on people. And also, I agree that uh, diversity of our experiences very often leads to feeling more alive. This is because that sense of aliveness seems to be related to some extent, at least, to novelty. 
to experience something different, something new. So it's not surprising that very often people seek or try to experience a number of different things or listen to different types of music or watch different movies or go to different places or go to different restaurants and things like that. Mm-hmm. However, there is another way, almost an opposite way of enhancing that sense of being fully alive. That's what uh, we call in personal synthesis variation. Varying the same experience, discovering greatest subtlety or complexity in the familiar. This is, I think, more related to your experience. I just wonder if you ever listen to a particular song <laughs> yeah. many times, and then you every time when you listen to the song, you kind of discover different layers of experience. Yes, uh, I do exactly that. Yeah. Not uh, just about songs, but also with TV shows, for example. I had some TV shows that I watched numerous times. Right. It makes me feel better and to discover some new layer, something that I didn't notice in some scenes or in dialogue. And I I liked it. Right. And that sometimes can give you better sense of being fully alive than if you were doing something completely new or watching something completely new. Uh, Yes. And uh, why is that for me personally? I get used to, to new things uh, very fast and they become uh, normal. Yes. Normal. That's why it needs to be something extraordinary, like extraordinary good TV show yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, for my taste. Extraordinary good song. Exactly. So what are you saying, if I understood you well, that uh, if you have too many new things and too often... It kind of normalizes. It it doesn't bring the same sense of aliveness. Yes, exactly that. I remember when I was a kid, just getting new record or finding a new book in a library or in a bookshop, something like that, was a, a really a big experience. Now you can get hundreds of new songs or books at the click of the button. And then you jump from one thing to another without actually getting into depth of any of these things. So that doesn't give you the sense of aliveness anymore. So the, the best thing to do is to be able to combine that diversity of experiences with variation, with finding that depth in repeating the same experience. Yes, and also I would like to add to try to find that aliveness in small things. In small that things. We are, we, that yes. we are taking for granted. Absolutely. This is such a good point, Bobby. This is an excellent point. Uh, indeed, it indicates that the sense of aliveness depends on us more than on external factors. Yeah. And that means that those experiences don't need to be rare. Yeah. Because if you do it in the right way, a lot of, lot of small things that we experience every day and take for granted can kindle that sense of aliveness, bring up that sense of aliveness. Okay, and that brings me to another two factors that are associated with this sense, is intensity and depth. Both intense experience and deep experiences can make us feel more alive. And this is because intensity associated with the quantitative component of an affect, of excitement, in simple terms, Intense experiences bring more excitement. 
And depth is associated with qualitative components of feelings and emotions. Of course, intensity and depth are not necessarily antagonistic. They are not opposite to each other. But intensity is sometimes used to compensate for lack of depth. So you want more and more experiences, more and more intense experiences, because for whatever reasons, you're disconnected with your depth. You compensate with intense experiences by lack of your depth. I saw those things in people who are doing extreme sports. People that I know, they are uh, looking more and more extreme things to do extreme sports, to do because they lack of depth. And in that way, they feel alive. They feel alive. This is kind of compensation. If we can't or don't allow ourselves for whatever reason to experience real deep emotions, excitement can be sought as a substitute. On the other hand, empty and superficial life is never really satisfying. That gives substance to our life. So you can try to mask that with the intensity of experience, but it's never fully satisfying. So now the question is, how do we get into depth? Any suggestions? I don't know. Uh, maybe we uh, look for quality before quantity. Yeah, indeed. And very interestingly, some people are capable of doing that intuitively. They can look at a leaf and have that profound experience of depth, or just look at the clouds or, or a bird or something like that. Some people find difficult to find that depth in simple things. So in personal consultancy, we summarized few factors that can contribute to that. So you can learn how to get there. And the first one is treating an experience as an end in itself. This is really important because if you're constantly trying to get somewhere, that somewhere is in the future. It's not in the present. The journey to get there also has a value. Otherwise, you can't experience, you can't feel alive because you're focusing on the future and you don't live in the future. You live in the present. It's a simple example for that. If you go for a walk, and if you are walking to get somewhere, let's say to the post office or something like that, this is very different experience than going for a walk just because you want to go for a walk when it is an end in itself rather than means to an end of getting somewhere. You have yeah. that experience? Yeah, you cannot concentrate then... on walking, for example. If you go out just for a walk, yeah. you can concentrate on a walk, on the things around you. And, and enjoying. Find, in... Enjoying, yeah. yeah. And observing and noticing things that are happening around you that gives you that sense of aliveness. Yeah. The other good example is sex. If you <laughs> uh, make love in order to have an orgasm, it's unlikely that you will experience kind of the depth of intimacy. However, if you have a different frame of mind and say, it doesn't matter if I'm going to have orgasm or not, I'm just going to focus on experiencing fully that moments of connection and intimacy with another human being, then it's far more likely that you will experience the depth of passion. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so now let's mention the other factors that are important in this respect. One is openness. That is achieved by opening up and allowing the richness of an experience to penetrate, letting yourself to be touched by an experience. And this is something that is very important. I think next week we'll be talking about 
openness is, is such an important topic that we have the whole area on that and we'll have a podcast on that topic alone. Then right. making connections. For example, if you listen to a piece of music now that you listened maybe 20 years ago, listening to that music brings all kinds of memories of when you heard that piece of music for the first time or subsequently. So when you make those connections, the experiences are much, much richer. Yeah, yeah, I have an example. Uh, there is one song that's called uh, Dona Conte, an Oxy singing. And uh, that song was late 80s or early 90s. I cannot remember. It was a song that was waking me up every morning for the school. because <laughs> <laughs> It was always on the radio. And I, I connect that song with the winter mornings. Oh, great. Um, the other factor is absorption and focus attention. So obviously experience is richer and more direct if you let go of thinking. And this is very interesting. Sometimes we have a great experience and what we do, we think how we'll talk to our friends about that during the experience. This is really a waste of time. Just enjoy your experience fully while it lasts. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment fully just while, think, while it just lasts. Think, uh, yeah, me, yeah. I can say just think that uh, there wouldn't be the same moment again. This is very much neglected nowadays. I remember when I was in Australia, we were visiting the Blue Mountains, and I was observing people around me, and virtually everybody was holding mobile phone and taking selfies. Now, yeah. what was interesting about that, they wanted to catch themselves and the Blue Mountains in the background. So everybody was in front of one of the most beautiful parts of the nature on this planet. And they all had their backs turned to that. Yeah. And looking at those mountains with their mobile phones. <laughs> the other two factors are understanding. For example, if you understand a piece of music, you are likely to experience more depth. And they doesn't apply only to music, understanding the lyrics or the background and so on. It applies to all sorts of other things. I use an example of Picasso's painting Guernica. It doesn't look very impressive if you don't know the story behind that. That is about the first ever carpet bombing of a town that was completely flattened by the fascists in the Spanish Civil War. Only then, the painting acquires a meaning and everything becomes really significant and, and you can get into a, a real depth and have deep and profound experience. So understanding and meaning, of course, uh, also matter. And Ash, what about people who are taking uh, too much risks to feel alive? Uh, or maybe too little risk. What do you think about that? Are you a risk taker, Bobby? No, no. No, you no. don't like taking uh, risks. Quite opposite. Yeah. I like certainty. Uh, right. That's why I never uh, understood gamblers, for example. It seems to me that in some aspects of your life, you have chosen to take a risk. You told us that you started studying law and that most of your family members are lawyers and so on. But at certain point, you decided to give up on that career path, which would be quite safe yeah. option for you, and chose to do something else and work for yourself. Yeah. 
which is always quite risky. Yeah. So you do take risks sometimes. And can you tell us a bit more from your own experience why and when you think it's worthwhile taking risk and why uh, it is not? Yeah, uh, first, uh, I want to say about this that you mentioned. I never understood that as a risk. I understood that as a logical move. I sat down and I said to myself, studying law doesn't fulfill me. I imagine myself doing this for next 40 years. I said to myself, right. no, right. there is no chance. I need to find something creative. So uh, I tried a couple of things before I came to marketing. That I, and I realized, no, this is something that I would like to do for the rest of my life. And that's great. You found your vocation. On the other yeah. hand, I'm sure you understand that it is a risky move. Because you can never yeah. actually be sure that it will work, that you will be able to in, in, earn enough money to sustain yourself financially and so on and so on. Of course. So it, it does involve some risk. And it seemed to me that what you're saying, that certain things are sometimes more important. Certain things are worth taking risk. Worth taking risk. For example, if you see girl that you like, yeah, you're yeah. in a club, so you see some girl that you like. Yeah, if you don't go and talk with her, all chances are that you're never gonna see her again. But on the other hand, you risk a rejection yeah. or possibly even humiliation if you do approach that girl and things don't go well. So yeah. many people get inhibited, and many people don't do certain things because they are not prepared to take that risk and then they feel regret later. If we want to take some risks, what we can do to make sure that the outcome, well, we can never make sure for, for certain, but at yeah. least to kind of increase the chances that the outcome will be desirable. Assessment of the situation. Right. Assessment of the situation, if the taking risk is a greater advantage than if you don't. Yes, certainly. And that also works in the other way. So yeah. sometimes we need to take the long-term consequences. And you may say like, okay, the risk is very small. There is very small chance that something will go wrong. So I'll go for that. Well, that really depends not only on how great chances, but how big the consequences may be. For example, we're talking about unprotected sex with somebody yeah. who is not your lasting partner. The risk of getting some kind of disease may be relatively small, but the consequences are huge yeah. if it does happen. So yeah. when we assess if it's worthwhile risk, it's really important to assess not only how risky a situation is, but how big the potential consequences can be. Yeah. Now, if you do want, if you are considering taking some kind of risks, what is really important to prepare for what can go wrong. And if something goes wrong, to know what you will do in that situation. That's really one of the most important things that you need to do when you go in risky situation. Like if we bring um, that example that we already mentioned, so you want to approach somebody that you don't know. Okay, so what are you going to do if you get rejected? 
if you know that, your anxiety will drop and you will be more courageous and more prepared to do something like that. Yeah, what is the worst thing that can happen? And what I'll do if it does. And maybe you can get something, uh, something worth of living after, like love. Yeah, the potential consequences can be also very positive. The other thing that prepares you well for taking risk is deciding in advance how far you will go and stick to that. You know, very, very often people take unnecessary risks or take stupid risks, not because they want that, but because they're persuaded by other people in the heat of the moment and so on. And then next day they're saying, why did I do that? That was completely silly. So let me give you an example. You may drive to a pub or to a bar or something like that, meet friends there, and you have a couple of drinks, and then your friends persuade you, drive us home. And you know that it's risky because you had a few drinks, but they insist, and you go on with that, and that can have a terrible consequences. Yep. So that's why it's really important to make a decision in advance. If I'm going to have uh, more than one drink or something like that, I'm not going to drive. Full stop. No yeah. negotiations, no thinking, no arguing about that. That's your decision that needs to be made before the situation you are in. And the last but not least, maintain some sense of control throughout without losing the thrill and spontaneity of your experience. What I mean by that, when you get into some kind of risky situation, try to maintain some kind of sense of control so that you can make decisions at any point, meaning that if you feel that things are going too far in particular direction that you don't want, you can say, no, stop, I'm pulling out. That requires you to have relaxed alertness just maintaining awareness of all that's going on without becoming tense or hesitant and things like that. Balancing these two is not easy. So it's like a riding a bicycle. You know, you need to practice that for a while before you can get the right balance. Okay. I think we gave enough examples and we covered pretty much everything that we had for today. But I want to say one more thing that if our listeners want to come back and uh, read about aliveness, they can do it on our website, personalsynthesis.com. Or uh, if they have any questions, uh, they, they could contact us. They can leave us a message on the website, ask any question or send us an email on info at personalwellbeingcenter.com. That's info at personalwellbeingcenter.com. Thank you, Nesh. It was a pleasure, like always. See you soon. Take care. Bye.